life. Infinitely fragile, and yet often deceptively mundane, somehow in the same space. Or more like the same time. Time. The most precious currency we have, no matter how hard a bargain you drive, you can never get it back. We trade it for people and power and things, hoping that in the end we'll understand what it means to live. But sometimes the end is a surprise, one we couldn't predict or expect, regardless of all our calendars and notifications. There are still some things beyond the reach of our front right pocket. So, if the author of time and of space stood before you today, and with the words of his son he told you that your soul was required of you not this night, but in thirty-five minutes, if your heart was laid down in its proverbial deathbed, and you had this one final opportunity to leave a word of wisdom and of passion with those you loved most, what message would? Burn inside you, worth the finite breaths and fleeting moments you have left. Says so. If the author of time and space stood before you today, and with the words of his son, he told you that your soul was required was required of you. Not tonight, but in thirty-five minutes. If your heart was laid down in its proverbial deathbed, and you had one final opportunity to leave a word of wisdom and passion with those that you loved most, what message would burn inside of you? Worth the finite breaths and fleeting moments that you have left. That is a question. One that I have had the sober opportunity to consider for the last few weeks, and so I intend today to answer that question in my deathbed message. And I'd like to answer it this way. I'd like to speak to my kids, Parker and J.C. If I were to pass in 35 minutes, or whether in 35 years, I hope that you'll listen to this, that you give me your ear, and that you would consider what the Lord is inviting you into. If you're taking notes, I've entitled this message "A Reasonable Response." We're going to read two verses. Romans chapter twelve, if you would turn there, and Philippians chapter one, they're close by each other. Romans chapter twelve, it's this letter written by the apostle Paul, a man sent on mission to bring the gospel to every part of the globe that God would allow His feet to touch, and every person who would open up their ear to hear. He said, "I'm going to bring this message with my whole life." In this particular passage in Romans twelve one, he's writing to the church in Rome, and he says this: "I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in light of the mercy of God, that you would offer yourself, your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. For this is your spiritual act of worship. One more, if you turn to the right a little bit, Philippians chapter 1. Same author, he says this to the church in Philippi. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy. So that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I might hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You'd think he was writing to the church in 2020. Only let your life be worthy of the gospel. Lord, I thank you for the absolute privilege that it is to stand in your pulpit and represent you and your scripture and your heart. And I pray that today the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. And that every person here in this room or, or joining us online, wherever they're at geographically, but more than that, wherever they're at spiritually, that you would meet with them and that it would be your spirit that they would hear. Speaking directly to them, God, we just want to hear your truth, your heart. And so we offer to you all that we are in these few moments that we share and ask that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I noticed something about myself. I respond in certain situations in a way that doesn't always make sense to those situations. Um, my wife could tell you. Like, I, I just, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I just, I, I like will get really passionate about something and res, like flare up and respond to something that like, when you look back on it, you're like, that really doesn't matter. Like, I used to get really serious about co-ed adult league outdoor soccer. Like Topher knows, like people are like, what are you doing, bro? Like, you know, the, the guys that like, they thought that they were going to be something. And so they're like reliving their childhood dreams, like at 35. And it's like, dude, this does not matter. Like chill out. Uh, how about this one? Like, if you tell me that cats are better than dogs, I'm going to freak out on you. Like, come on. Are you serious? There's no way. Like God made dogs and the devil made cats. Like, <laughs> Like, I'm kidding, okay, chill, but I don't like cats at all, and I get really serious about it. Or how about this one? When my wife replaces the toilet paper, and if she puts the toilet paper, like, going around the backside instead of the front, it's like, what are you thinking? Who wants to go dig up under there for the toilet paper? It's ridiculous. Logically speaking, you put it over the front where it's nice and handy. Some things just don't matter, though, and we get passionate about them, and we respond in weird ways to situations sometimes. I want to tell you about my quintessential response moment. I had a, the privilege of traveling through Europe when I was in college with some roommates, and we were on a night train once going from Nice to Barcelona, and this train didn't leave until midnight, 
And so as you can imagine, everybody's getting on there and trying to just get settled. And you know, you're thinking, I'm just going to fall asleep and try and get comfortable. However, it's kind of like an airplane seat. And just go to sleep and hopefully wake up there. And I've never been in a vehicle like this before, but uh, one, one aisle, the, the seats that I was sitting in, all of the seats were facing the front of the train. And then across the, uh, across the walkway, um, those other seats were facing the back of the train. And I don't know why I was set up that way, but I was sitting here and my two college roommates were sitting right here across from me facing the other direction. And so we get on this train, it's midnight, everybody's trying to sleep. And all of a sudden, these French teenagers right behind us start playing this French rap music, like really loud on their phone. And everybody's like giving them the look, you know, like, what are you doing? We're trying to sleep. And they just acted like they did not care. And they were turning their music up louder, just kind of like, I don't know, just to be jerks or something. And so I'm like kind of getting stirred up a little bit, you know, righteous indignation. (laughs) But I think to myself, I love Jesus. And so it's, it's okay. It's just music, whatever. Like, and I, and I eventually actually fall asleep. And so it was all good until something woke me up. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but if I get woken up, Sometimes things like don't come out of you. You know, you're not thinking straight. So like in a sleepy stupor, you just do things that are dumb. So I wake up and I look at my roommate who's like right here and he's, he's wide awake and his eyes are like open and he's staring back here. So I turn around and I look. He's in a staring contest with this French teenager. Like they're, they're staring each other down. And something kind of snapped in me. I don't know why. This is a true story. I look at the kid and I go, how old are you? 12? 13? And this look is on my face like, and this is, what, this is what he did. I kid you not. He reaches into his pocket, pulls out a butterfly knife, and holds it up in front of everybody. Pulls a knife on me. I couldn't believe it. I never had anybody pull a knife on me before. That's a moment of decision. <laughs> and this is, this is the decision I made, I kid you not. I look at him and I said, really? You want to stab me? Go ahead, right here, right now. <laughs> and then I turned back around, pooped my pants a little bit, just kidding. <laughs> You know how sometimes in life you respond and then like five seconds later, you're like, who was that? <laughs> we all thought I was going to get shanked when I got off that train, but I'm still here. I called his bluff, y'all. <laughs> Point is, that story always reminds me, number one, of my stupidity. <laughs> but number two, of how we have this capacity as human beings to respond to situations in the most illogical unreasonable way. It's crazy the decisions we make sometimes. It's crazy the response that we have, both good and bad, both in the ways that we love and adore and give our time and our effort and our passion towards things that really don't deserve it. 
and in the ways that we don't give our time and our affection and our love and our passion towards the things that do. And I think that this passage in Romans 12, what Paul is talking about, in many ways, he's asking a question and he's inviting a response. In many ways, he's saying, would you respond reasonably to me? He says, I beg you. That's actually what the word means. I, I implore you. I appeal to you. I'm begging you. I'm on, my, I'm on my knees asking you to consider. In light of the mercy of God, would you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him? I beg you to consider this. He says, I, I, I appeal to you, therefore. And anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you have to know what it's there for. And so I got to thinking about Romans 12.1 and preaching on Romans 12.1. And, and if I'm going to stand up here and beg you to respond, it's, it's a shame, actually, that I couldn't describe for you the, the former 11 chapters. Because that's actually what Paul is saying here. In fact, he writes 11 chapters, 315 verses, and almost 5,000 words of some of the most beautifully complex and intimate theological truths that anybody has ever written. That's what the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans is all about. It might be the crown jewel of the entire scriptures. And I just wish I had time to tell you about it. I wish I had time to describe for you the beauty and the complexity and the story and God's heart and what he describes in those 11 chapters and so that when I ask you to respond to it, you might just understand what you're responding to. I wish I had time, but I, I don't. But if I had time, I'd probably tell you about chapter one. I'd probably tell you about how Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I can't possibly be ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, either for the Jew or for the Greek. It's the power of God. I'm not ashamed of this thing. I wish I had time to tell you about it. If I did, I'd tell you about chapter two and how it says that it's God's kindness that's meant to lead us towards repentance. It's not his wrath. It's not his anger. It's not him being mad at us. It's his kindness that the scripture actually presumes that we would respond to the kindness of God and we would turn it into repentance because of his kindness. If I had time, I would tell you about chapter three and how he lines out for us the fact that even though we compare and judge one another, not one of us is righteous, not even one of us, and all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we deserve death because of that. I wish I had time to tell you about it. I tell you about chapter four and how it talks all about Abraham and how by faith he was considered righteous and everything that Abraham did, he did in response to the faith that was in him. I wish I had time to tell you about it. If I had time to tell you about it, I'd tell you about chapter five and how he says, God demonstrates his own love for, for us in this present tense and that what he did in Christ Jesus while we were still sinners is Christ died for us to reconcile us to himself. That's what he is describing in a chapter. If I had time, I'd tell you about chapter six and how we are no longer slaves to sin. You need to understand we are not bound to sin any longer. In chapter seven, that in sin, we're blinded and trapped. And before Christ came, we were not able not to sin, but because he's in us now, we can live in the life of the destiny that he has for us. If I had time to tell you, oh, I just wish I could tell you about chapter eight. I wish I could tell you about Romans chapter eight, because if I had time, I would tell you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are no, oh, I wish I had time to tell you that God works all things together for the good who those, for those who love him and call according to, I wish I had time to tell you that there is neither height nor depth, no angel, nor nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. I wish I had time to tell you about that. 
but I don't. If I could, I'd tell you about chapter nine and how God is sovereign and good at the same time and all things are in his hands. I'd tell you about chapter 10 and how it says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I wish I had time to tell you about chapter 11 and how God has this plan. And it's almost like Paul finishes this crown jewel of scripture by writing these last words in chapter 11. He says this, Romans eleven thirty six: for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Period. And then my thought is that he probably got to the end of this magnificent theological work writes amen and puts the period, and then he thinks to himself, but wait, truth without an invitation to respond to it is just gonna be words on a page. And so he thinks to himself, because of all that, therefore I need to ask them to do something. And so Parker and JC, what I'm asking you to do If I were to die this day or in 35 years or whenever, what I'm asking you to consider is your response to this kind of God. What he's saying is I beg you to consider in light of all of that mercy that I just described, if you consider this type of love, this type of God, this type of salvation, if you consider who he is and what he's already done for us, then I'm asking you to respond to it. I'm asking you to have a reasonable response and to lay down your life as a living sacrifice. Now, if you're in that culture, you would have known what a sacrifice was. You see, for them, they would come to church and instead of bringing your Bible and your latte, they would bring an animal. They would bring their best animal, not the sick one, Not after you fed everybody and sold what you wanted and then just the one that's left over. No, the first one. It's called the first fruits. Bring your best to me, God says. And you would bring your lamb and the pastors would put the knife in your hand. And you would put your other hand on that lamb's head. I know this is gruesome, but this is how it worked. And the point of all of this was for you to acknowledge it is my sin that is bringing this punishment upon you. And you would take the knife and cut its throat and the blood would pour out and your sins would be forgiven. This, by the way, is why Jesus is called the the Lamb of God. Why his blood was required. Because he was the final sacrifice fulfilling this sacrificial system on our behalf. Oh, I wish that we would just respond to that. He's saying, what I'm asking you to do is not to kill your life, but what might be even harder, to live your life daily, dying to self and living only for him. I'm begging you, would you consider all that God is and all that he's done and to live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your spiritual act of worship. I don't know what your version says. I'm gonna tell you what the Greek word is there. My version says spiritual act of worship. This is what that Greek word is. See if you can figure out what it means. Logikos. That's the actual word right there. For this is your logikos. In other words, he's saying, it is only logical 
if you were to consider all of this, if you were to consider, really think about who God is, it only makes sense to respond in this way. It is your reasonable response. Somebody shared this quote with me last night from C.S. Lewis. He says this. He says, Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. And one thing that it cannot be is of moderate importance. That is true. You ever thought about what you're passionate about? You ever thought about how you spend your time? What you focus on? What you pursue? Everything in this life deserves a reasonable response. Everything is worthy of something, right? Every task, every person, every job that you're given, every situation deserves a certain level of response, a certain level of love or disdain, a certain level of passion or, right? Everything in life deserves something. If you consider your world, your passions, your pursuits, the things that you focus on, the things that you run after, the things that you pursue, do the things in your world receive what they're worthy of? Like when you think about your career and what you're chasing after and how many zeros you're trying to add to your bank account, is your pursuit and passion of that worthy of that? Now, God, God knows that you need to provide food on your table and a roof over your, you know, your family's head. Like it's, it's okay to pursue a career and, and, and elevating in our job and all that. It's okay. Just don't love it more than you love God. It's okay to have hobbies and sports and, and, and love certain activities and things. It's, God designed us with passion, and it, I actually think it glorifies him when we operate in passion with the, the beautiful things that he's given us. But just don't operate in more passion than you have for him. I remember when I went to my first Seattle Seahawks game, I was so pumped. I was so jacked to finally get to be there in the stadium. And I showed up, and I tell you, it was amazing. It was amazing uh, game. We won at the last minute. Literally, the seismic reader went off because they were cheering so loud. It was so awesome. And I had such a fun time, but I, I honestly left a little heartbroken. Because I was, as I was walking into that stadium, I saw so many people, everybody wearing the gear, fa grown men, faces painted, grown men screaming, yeah, going crazy, myself included, everybody though. We paid a high priced dollar to get to those seats. We pay nothing for these seats. I left thinking, how can we possibly be more excited than some dudes running around in tights on that field than we are about our Savior? It's unreasonable. And all the while, we have people up in our church sending us emails saying, J.O., don't tell me to worship and raise my hands and dance. That's not me. Fine. If that's not you in all settings, then that's not you. But do not show up to a football game or a bar and go crazy and dance and tell me that that's not you when we're worshiping up in the church. Come on. Come on. 
I'm asking for a reasonable response to the God of the universe. That's what I'm asking for. That's what he's asking for. If that's not you, so be it. That's fine. But don't give more passion to something else than you will to him. It doesn't make sense. I want to show you a picture. This, to me, is humanity. I don't know if he was thinking about all this when he, when he did. This is, one of the, this is my favorite piece of art. It's on the top of the Sistine Chapel. I just want you to notice. I don't know if you ever considered this. Look at God's tone of posture. And by the way, this, th that's biblical. The right side of that picture is biblical through and through. This is who God is, a God that would lean towards us, stretch towards Look at his outstretched hand. Look at all of heaven with him, reaching towards humanity. And what is Adam doing? Sitting back, holding up this stupid little dangly hand like he half-heartedly cares. <sighs> And you know what I realized? That's me. That is me. Why do I do that? Why do I treat God like he's day old bread and I could care less sometimes? He should be the, if God were to come to me, I should be like, are you serious? Yes, of course. But we don't. We treat him like he's, yeah, cool. I'm a Christian, big deal. I'm gonna be more passionate about whether I'm gonna wear a mask or not. I'm gonna fight my political causes whether I'm, Democrat or Republican. Look, be political, but don't let it be more passionate in your heart than your relationship with Jesus. You know what the world needs right now is not more politics. It's people set on fire from the inside out. Consumed with one thing, the spirit of God living in them. JC and Parker, if you ever watch this, I implore you, don't let anything else capture your attention or your affection more than Jesus Christ because he's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. It's like, we're passionate people, you know, we pursue so many things and we just love stuff. Have you ever seen somebody train for Iron Man? You see there's dedication to passion. C.S. Lewis has this other quote. I don't know if you've heard it before. He says this, he says, I think that our Lord would consider our passions not too strong, but too weak. He says, we're a half-hearted people, fooling about with things like drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy awaits us. We're like foolish children content making mud pies in the slums, because we can't even fathom what it is to take a holiday at sea. Why would we ever respond to mud pies in the slums when we've been offered infinite joy? I need to clarify one thing because I think it's of the utmost importance, and I do. I, I share this with my kids almost every night. In Philippians 1.27, he says, would you live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel? I think about that word worthy because if we're not careful we can absolutely miss the truth of this whole thing. Because when you hear the word worthy, what it, what it wants to do, what sin nature in you wants to stir up inside of you is this thought that I need to do and be and perfect and clean myself and do and perform in order to be worthy of God. In fact, that's what religion says. 
you show yourself worthy of God's presence. You work your way to him, and then one day you might be worthy if you're holy and pious. That's not the message of this, this gospel. That might be the message of other religions, but that's what sets this Jesus apart. You see, faith in Jesus is not about our works actually at all. It's about the finished work of Jesus Christ. What, what we have to do is make sure that we get things in the right order. Both components are still there, but order is of the utmost importance. We need to recognize that we receive him through faith by grace alone. It's a gift. But once we're in that place of relationship, we have an opportunity to respond. Once we recognize that I haven't earned this, I can never earn this. I'm not good enough and neither are you. Once we recognize that this is a free gift of love and salvation and we're in that place, then we have the opportunity to respond and react and to live our life in a manner that shines light on this King, to live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel we've already received. I so wanna ask you again, how are you responding to that kind of King? Does your life and your passion and your time and your talent and your treasure and your affection does it correspond with the glory of God? Do you give him what he's worthy of? And do you give to the world what the world is worthy of? You see, religion will only train you to do enough just to get by so you'll end up somewhere when you die. And by the way, we will all die at some point, whether in 35 minutes, 35 years, or whenever but you don't have to fear death. In fact, Paul says to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't really matter to me if I go to heaven, it's better by far. Wow. But, but I'll remain here for your sake. But religion, religion will never convince you. I did religion for 17 years, it was horrible. And then I found a relationship with the living God and it changed everything. Religion will only teach you to do enough just to, just to try and figure out how, you know, I can make it. But relationship makes you want to do everything in your power to honor this king. I took my daughter on a date. She was maybe four or five, daddy-daughter date. And we were gonna go to an NIC basketball game and, you know, I'm trying to train her up in the way of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but we had some time before the game. And so we went to a store and I said, hey, sweets, why don't you pick out a necklace? I'll buy it for you you know, within reason, price range and everything. And she said, hey, daddy, it's a two pack. Can I get it? I can wear one and you can wear one. <laughs> sure, sweetie. Yeah, let's get it. The problem with the two pack was the options was a rainbow and a rainbow unicorn. Neither option I wanted, but it's daddy-daughter date. So we bought the two-pack. We put those things on, and we leaned towards each other, faces close. We grabbed those necklaces. We touched them together, and we said, tink. It's our thing. 
And we did that over the next couple days and tink, tink. And then Wednesday rolled around and she sees me getting ready for work and she says, Daddy, where's, the, where's your necklace? <laughs> well, she didn't know about Wednesday. I said, hey, sweetie, the thing about Wednesday is it's intern day. I can't wear this in front of the interns. They'll make fun of me. She said, well, let's pray. Now, let me, let me just say this right away. Uh, me and Jess will both tell you, hey, our, our kids aren't like super, I'm not the pastor that's like, oh, they're so holy and they pray all the time. Like, it doesn't happen that often, but it happened this one time. And so she said, let's pray. And I was like, whoa, okay, cool, yeah, let's pray. And I kid you not, this is her, pr her prayer. Jesus, help my daddy not to be embarrassed when they make fun of him. <laughs> out of the mouth of children. <laughs> Do you grasp how deeply beautiful that prayer is? Because she could have easily prayed, Jesus, don't let those evil interns persecute my daddy. <laughs> she did not pray that the persecution would go away. She assumed that based on our relationship, I wouldn't care. And so you know what? That right there, that's a rainbow unicorn. And I can tell you right now, I don't care if any of you make fun of me about this necklace. I literally could care less. In fact, if you made fun of me, I would look at you and I would say, are you serious? How could I possibly care about that? Because I know what relationship this represents. And so if you wear a cross around your neck, don't wear it for jewelry. If you write on Facebook, Christian, don't check it off because you don't know what else to mark. If this whole thing is false, it really doesn't matter. But if it's true, it matters more than anything else. JC and Parker, there's only one reasonable response to this message, and it's that you would die to yourself and fully surrender your life, that you would receive life and in infinite joy both now and in the ever after. It's the only response that makes sense. I just want to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. I just want to give a moment of privacy just for a few moments. Maybe you're here today or you're joining us online. You're listening. Somehow you clicked on this link. Maybe you're here and somebody drug you here. I don't know how you made it, but I want to ask you to respond. If you are in this place and you don't, know that you're living in right and restored relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about religion, friends. I'm talking about relationship with the living God. That you, you don't know what salvation tastes like. You don't know what his spirit in your spirit feels like. You can know today 
And it's not based on your works. It's not based on your sin or your lack of sin or your ability. It's based on whether you put your faith in Jesus or not. And so I just want to ask it simply. If you don't know that you know that you know that the Spirit of God lives in you, you've surrendered your life to Him, then I want to invite you to make that commitment today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand in the, in the air just so I could see, is there anybody in this room? Thank you so much, sir. Greatest decision you could ever make. Thank you so much, sir. On my left, I see you right here. I'm not sure who's bringing a card to you. Is there anybody else? Just raise your hand until I see you. I see you, sweetie. Is there anybody? This is the response that makes sense. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. I want to pray with you because it does say in Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with our mouth that we confess and are justified and with our heart that we believe and we're saved. And so if you raise your hand, I want to encourage you to pray this with me. If you're joining us online, wherever you're at, would you please pray this from your heart? And ju just so you know you're not alone, church, would you, would you mind just praying this along with them just so that we, they know that we're standing with them. Can we pray this together? Lord Jesus, today I recognize you as Savior and Lord. I recognize that I've sinned. I've turned away. But today I repent and I come home. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you lead me? I surrender my whole life to you. Would you lead me from this day forth forevermore? I commit myself to you wholeheartedly. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we celebrate with these maybe three, four, five hands? Best decision you, decision you could ever make. At the end of this gathering, my left, uh, your right, most of you over, under those lights, I have some friends back there. If you, would, if you made that commitment today, if you would stop by there, they just want to pray with you. Make sure you have a Bible and get connected with you real quick. If that's you online and you made that commitment, would you please email us at amen at theheartcda.com. We really want to get connected with you and uh, walk with you through this journey, the greatest decision that you could ever make. So if you stand to your...